Climbers, singers, songwriters, artists, some of you are ready. But what if you're not ready? What do you got to do to get ready? What does it mean to be ready and really step into your own? I'm going to tell you a story about a situation. We're going to go deep down into this sentiment exactly. Welcome to the club! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. Leverage is what you're going to need in today's music industry. This isn't the old school where you just have a whole lot of talent and they're going to pluck you from obscurity and turn you into a household name. Nope. You're going to have to show up knowing who you are, knowing what your brand is, knowing exactly how to write a song and knowing exactly how to be an artist and having a track record of sales and successes behind you to prove that you're ready to go. That's why we called it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. See what we did there? You see? See what Mm -hmm. we did? That's right. That's a backronym from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. I got a couple number ones last year in Southern Gospel, not for nothing, making miracles happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what I love about Brent is... He helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, he gives you the opportunity to engage and create relationships with the pros so you can move up that ladder. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. What's up, brother? Man, just uh, rocking, looking forward to hearing some stories. And uh, <laughs> tell me a story, Grandpa, and uh, yeah. So I'm doing well, I'm right. going to tell you, <clears throat> we're going to go down a rabbit hole, we're going to talk about a super, super successful story, and then I'm going to bring it home to the artists and the singers and the songwriters with a situation that I had to go through a couple years ago that I think sort of explains the difference, and it's all about how we approach our journey. Mm-hmm. And how we make that happen. But before we do that, let's take care of a little bedness. We are always proud as peacocks. Mm-hmm. You got to let me fly on this one, Captain. I'm a peacock. You got to let me fly. <laughs> <laughs> We're proud as peacocks to be part of the American Songwriter Magazine's podcast network. We are one of the flagship shows that came over there when they started this in June. And if you're a climber and you've been with us for the five years, then by all means, go check out some of the other great shows that are on this podcast network. It's pretty fascinating. There's some good stuff on there. And if you discovered us from the podcast network, welcome to The Climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, join The Climb community if you haven't done so already. This is a thriving community on Facebook. Singers, songwriters, indie artists, we're getting co-write connections, we're getting marketing questions, people talking about their wins, things that they've done. And it's just a really great group. This is not a, this is not the group for you to sell to. These are not consumers. Mm. These are your peers. Okay. So this is where you go ask questions, talk about some of the stuff you've done, share your successes and just find some support in there. And we got some wins, right? Yeah, we do have some wins. Every Wednesday, we post our new heights post in the climb community and we encourage you to share some recent music related wins big or small we love them all just want to highlight a couple today let's see here bill o'hanlon what's the day this was like april late april bill o'hanlon says i finished my 125th song for the year today vulgar display of prowess something anyway new indie cut my 20th is coming out friday of this week so congrats and just got two songs taken by sync agents slash library. So Bill apparently is not working very hard. Bill, no, and I I know this, I know this to be true that every one Mm. of those indie artists, the 20 indie artists that have cut his songs 
and the sync people just all happened to be at a block party down the street from his house and heard he was a songwriter because <laughs> he right. wasn't was a pizza delivery party. guy. And, and they heard uh, he was a songwriter. So they went and knocked on the door and said, hey, doing nothing, we had heard a you're a songwriter. We're looking for cuts like, hey, and you stuff got a guitar? to sing. Can I cut you one got song? anything? And he's like, sure well, come on in. As a matter of fact, I do. And then that's how it happened. And that's how it all happened. So, yeah, Bill. Because it's not a hustle or anything. No, no, definitely not hustle. Let's see here. Patrick Adams said, uh, he goes, I got a pretty good one, along with Brad Hacker and Chris Tiscarino. Our song Bright Island Light was selected as the Anthem Entertainment slash NSAI chapter winner for the Salt Lake City chapter of NSAI. Stoked to see where the song will go next. Congrats. So awesome for that. And last one, Roger Fournier, I guess, or Fournier, said, just booked a recording uh, session for three songs at Direct Image Recording Studio in Nashville with producer Ken Royster. Unbelievable credits. I'm excited to focus on these three songs. So, yeah, Ken has worked with Luke Combs. He worked on a lot of that early Luke stuff, and I've done demos over there and stuff, too. So he's, I've worked like with Royster, dude. too. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to make the donuts, man. He knows what Love he's doing. Kenny Royster. Absolutely. So, c- congratulations on the wins, y'all. So if you're in the community, come by, drop by on a new Heights segment and share your wins. We love to celebrate together. There you go. All right. And uh, listen, subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcasts. Make sure that you get every episode in there so that you can go through when when you have insomniac nights, insomniac, Mm -hmm. what's the word for that? Insomniac nights. Insomniac nights. Isn't that a Glenn Campbell song? (laughs) And uh, listen, leave a rating and review. We're trying to get 200. And by all means, like, you know what? I want everybody to take Patrick Adams' lead. And when you find something, an episode in there that moves you, that makes you, where you learn something, you're like, this is great. Like, I want you to tell people about it, right? Like Patrick yeah. posted in the climb community, which I love. Yeah, I love He's it. Like, it. He's like, I found some golden episode 125 or whatever, you know, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. But tell somebody about it because, man, that's that's when it's 100% true, and that's how we grow this thing. That's why we're doing this. We want to help singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you. That's right. So let's get down to it. Let's talk about getting ready. Mm-hmm. I want to start with uh, – I'm just going to relay a story about my – one of the players of my beloved Green Bay Packers. All right. Okay? This is Aaron Rodgers, who at one point in 2018 – and I think in 2019, he wasn't anymore. But in 2018, he was the highest paid NFL player, right? Not bad. Arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Uh, he's got one of the highest quarterback percentage ratings. But he didn't start like that, you mm-hmm. know? And so I just want to go down that path a little bit and just talk a little bit about him and all the work that he did and, and the grinding that he did to get to where he is right now. Because, man – with all the talent he had, and I'm sure that he thought he was ready, he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. He wasn't ready f- for the NFL, you know. And this is a thing that happens all the time where in the college programs, the real talented guys are the rock stars, right? Yeah. They're the rock star and everybody else is running in slow motion. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the NFL, the whole team is nothing but those rock star guys from every school around the country. Right, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, your 300-pound lineman probably can run a 4-4 quicker than your <laughs> wide receiver in college. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they're freaks of nature. They're yeah. so, so incredibly athletic. And so with Rodgers, the thing was, he didn't even go to a Division One school. He came from Cal, which is, I think, in Fresno. And That's D1, isn't it? It's just not a... I don't think so. I thought that was in the Pac-12 or something. No, nah, maybe it is D1. Maybe... Uh, maybe he worked his way up to that. I don't know. Is it Pac-10? No, it's Pac-12. Big 10, Pac-12. I don't think it's in Pac-12. I, th- I don't think it, it's not a big school. Okay. Okay. But regardless. So in high school, by the way, so he doesn't go to a Division One school at the beginning, at least, because, well, he was a rock star in high school. He's also slow at growing. He's only <laughs> five foot ten and 165 pounds in high school, oh, wow. but he was a rock star at his high school. And so he uh, ends up getting a walk-on at, at some community college or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a coach that was there looking at somebody else from the Golden Bears, I'm not sure what that – I think that's Fresno. But uh, from the from – the, or maybe Chico. But from the Golden Bears, saw him and then took him on to the team, right? And mm-hmm. at this point, he only had like three years of eligibility left. He had a so-so first year, a much better second year. And then his last year, he was crushing it. 
And then he's going to get drafted into the NFL. And his draft story is like one of the most incredible stories uh, ever mm. <laughs> of, of the NFL. So he, he went into the 2005 NFL draft expecting and everybody expected him to be drafted number one and go to the San Francisco 49ers, which is like the team that he loved because he grew up in Northern California. Yeah. And by the way, uh, it's UC, let's see, Golden Bears. What are the Golden UC, Bears? Yeah, UC Berkeley. It is Pac-12, so it is okay. D1. It is D1. Okay. Yeah. So he came out of – so right out of high school, he didn't go to a, to a, a, a D1. And then he got on to the D1, I think, as like a sophomore. Yeah, it's awesome that maybe he went to community college or something yeah. to start. So he started working his way up. Starts working his way up, right. And now he's got – I mean, he just has this incredible passer rating, right? Like he makes very, very good decisions. He's got an incredible arm. And he's still growing, but the time he gets out of college, now he's six two, right? He's got more of that the quarterback. Yeah, you got more of that quarterback prototype body that they want. He's expecting to go number one. And if you've ever watched the draft, right, this is like a big deal. I mean, dreams are happening on the regular, right? Every six to not what is it, nine minutes? I don't remember the NFL that. draft. Every team has a certain amount of time and they start to draft. And the teams with the lowest, crappiest season before are higher up in the draft, right? Mm -hmm. So San Francisco finished last. They had the first round draft pick, but they picked Alex Smith, Hmm. not Aaron Rodgers. So the thing is Aaron's at the draft place, right? Like he's at the facility where the draft is actually happening, Mm -hmm. expecting to go first, get a hat, T-shirt, take a picture with the NFL commissioner and make national history, right? Yeah. But he doesn't get picked. And then number two, number three, number four, all of a sudden all these teams, now he's got a rocket arm. He's like a super talented dude. But for whatever reason, it was a freak of nature that this particular year, all these other teams had more pressing positions that needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. And they didn't need a quarterback no matter how good he was. That, and that, this is so rare that this happens, right? Usually your yeah. quarterbacks are going to go top five. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, first round top five picks is what I mean by that. But no, he sinks down 10. I mean, hours are going by. Hours are going by. He's just, you can see he's deflated. He's embarrassed because they keep shooting the camera back to him, right? right. He's like, you know, I think like the last one, he's like, you know, he's out on the ledge about to jump off, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just horrible. And then it gets down to pick number 24 in the first round and Green Bay picks him. Now, a bunch of things were happening in this situation emotionally, right? Number one is the money difference is, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's the embarrassment of you're on national TV. Everybody that loves football is watching the draft. And, oh, my God, they're expecting this kid to, like, blow his head off in any minute. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, what is going on? He's supposed to be number one. Now he's not not even top 10 picks, not even top 20 picks. Yeah. He's at the end of the first round. And the money, the contract differences that happen are astronomical too, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when you consider a high-impact sport like football. Just to give you an idea of what that looks like, Alex Smith goes number one and gets $49.5 million deal with $24 million guaranteed. Rodgers goes number 24 in the first round, gets a five-year $7.7 million deal with $5.4 million guaranteed. Now, I mean, I know, listen, you guys are all like, well, Mills, he's still making a lot of money. It's true. But look yeah. at what's relative, especially when you could go and play one game, have a life career ending injury, and it'll all be over. Yeah. That was an 84.4% reduction in compensation. <laughs> That's noticeable. <laughs> right? It's insane. So he drafts in. Now he's a backup to Favre, Aaron Rodgers right? or to Brett Favre. Excuse yeah. Me. Yeah. And so let's just go in and just talk a little bit about what happens here, right? So backup year. So he, he gets the $7.7 million deal. Uh, his rookie season is with the Packers. And he's backing up Brett Favre, who's n- like never missed a game. Right, yeah. Like he's getting injured and he's left games, but he always started games. I think he's got the longest starting record of any NFL quarterback in the history of the NFL. So – he, he gets his first look here in a preseason game on his rookie year with the San Diego Chargers after replacing Favre. 
And he, he goes out there first, first day, first shine on TV, right? And malfunctioning radio in his helmet and two offensive flags. It's a nightmare, right? Oh. <laughs> it's a mess. He completes two out of seven passes, gets sacked twice, struggles throughout the preseason, and converts two third downs, throws a touchdown pass, and he's on his way, right? Then the regular season begins that first season, and he sees very little action. He played against the New Orleans Saints in the fourth quarter of a 52-3 to victory and completed his first career pass on December 19th of 2005. Rodgers enters the game against the Baltimore Ravens at the end of a third quarter in a 48-3 to loss. So basically the scrubs go out, right, to get him some mm-hmm. – some playing time. He completes 15 passes for 65 yards and an interception. And then he sees one more play that season, one more play for the whole season where they threw him out there just to take a knee against the Seattle Seahawks to end the game. (laughs) (laughs) So plays very little as rookie season, but he ran the scout team during practice. Mm -hmm. This is what's important, right? So his job is to mimic opponent's schemes for the, and the defense for the, for the game for the following week. Rogers said this was critical to his success and that those were his game reps, right? The defense mm-hmm. and the scouts often complained that he was practicing too hard. And at one point, they actually asked him to tone it down. And he stated that he probably rubbed people the wrong way with how hard he practiced. But Donald Driver, who was one of the famous wide receivers from Green Bay, commented that Rogers you know, took every scout team possession like it was the last possession of his life, mm-hmm. right? So super intense. So Packers have a losing season his rookie year. The coaches are switched, right? Mike Sherman gets fired. Mike McCarthy comes in. And Mike McCarthy puts him in quarterback school, right, for six hours a day, several times a week. And so, by the way, this is a big deal. Like when you come out of colleges, those programs are far less sophisticated, than the mm-hmm. NFL, right? The offenses and the defense is not sophisticated. So oftentimes you have like, you know, number one picks that come out of the draft that are just complete busts yeah. because they can't mentally get into the game. And so quarterback school here is what Mike McCarthy's doing to get him, to get him working on his motor skills, hand-eye coordination, finger dexterity, mechanics. Okay. McCarthy worked on Rogers release point. Like that's where he lets go of the ball, moving it from right beside the ear hole of his helmet to further below it to give him a smoother release, all right? And so they're, they're teaching him how to throw the football differently. <laughs> right. I mean, think about that. Like, this is fundamentals of football. He's got a pro contract. He's a millionaire now. And it's like, okay, you got to throw the football differently. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay? So Rodgers is also instructed to lowest body fat ratio from 15% to 12%. And he was resistant to the changes at first, but later commented that he thought they were for the better. So during the practice on his 11 on 11 drills, he completes 62.7% of his passes with seven interceptions. And the coach McCarthy comments that, Hey man, he's getting better. And you're looking at a guy here that's going to mature. He's got incredible athletic ability that people haven't seen, but Mm -hmm. it's being developed, but now in the bigger game, right? Favre did not attend the quarterback school under the new coaching staff. And thus, and I love this, this piece of the story here, and thus knew none of the terminology of the new system, right? So mm. this is where Rodgers adds value to Favre, who at this point is arguably one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks in the history of the game, yeah, right? Not the greatest, famer, I don't, no doubt. but he's a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer, yeah. yeah. And Rodgers sees a way to add value to Favre. So they become friends, and Rodgers instructs Favre on which plays in the Sherman system, the old coach's system, corresponded with the new McCarthy system. Because Favre doesn't give a whiff, right? (laughs) (laughs) So here he's tightening up and learning under the tutelage of Brett Favre. Preseason begins, Rodgers plays as the backup in all four games, and he completes like 22 out of 38 passes for 323 yards and three touchdowns. So he's starting to look a little better, right? Mm -hmm. 2006 season, he sees little action, but he steps in on October 2nd against the Philadelphia Eagles when Favre left for an injury, completes two out of three passes for 13 yards. Not much. November 19th, Rodgers breaks his foot, and he's out for the rest of the 2006 season. Okay? Then 2007, Favre announced that he's going to stay with the Packers for the 2007 season because was, there was the whole, I'm going to retire, I'm not mm-hmm. going to retire, I'm going to retire, I'm not going to retire. So... 
once again, Rodgers' hopes of becoming the, the starting quarterback get squashed. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something else that I wanted to point out to you, because all this matters to artists and singers and songwriters, right? 2000 season, prior to that season, rumors surfaced about a potential trade involving Rodgers in which he would be traded to the Oakland Raiders for wide receiver Randy Moss. Hmm. Okay, but however, Moss was traded to New England Patriots during the second day of the 2007 NFL draft, and Rodgers just stays in Green Bay because of it just didn't work out, right? So there's mm-hmm. like a little bit of the dice that are tumbling that you have no control over. So then Brett Favre retires in 2008, which creates the opening quarterback position for Rodgers. And then Favre decides to return from retirement. But once he comes back, uh, they're not going to oust Rodgers at this point. So so he's gone. I'm the head quarterback now. And then Rodgers like, yeah, I'm just or, uh, Favre's like, I'm just kidding. I'm coming back. <laughs> and then the Packers traded him to the Jets, right? So, again, it's like, oh, my God, can you imagine what was triggered in that? It just feels like the draft all over again. Like, right, yeah. What the hell is going on? So then he quickly goes to work and proves that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league by passing for 4,038 yards his first season, uh, 28 touchdowns, only 13 interceptions. And as of the 2018 season, that's the most interceptions he's ever thrown in a season, which was, which was huge. So he goes on to become the rock star. Now, it's not until – 2008 that he renegotiates his contract so it's october 31st so a little bit into the 2008 season is starting season they change his deal from 7.7 million to to six years 65 million dollar deal through the 2014 season and then in 2000 he gets a couple extensions and in 2018 he goes on to sign a 134 million dollar deal with a 57.5 million dollar signing bonus and he's one of the premier quarterbacks of the nfl he was grinding mm-hmm. learning the system and befriending the people he needs to befriend right yeah. like brett Favre, and they become good friends and he's learning how to handle everything right how to handle the pressure here's what we're going to do here here's what we're going to do there i'm going to try this and brett Favre was a loose cannon you know yeah to be sure so what does this mean for you not being ready? How do we bring this home? There's a situation that I, I want to share with you with an artist that I worked with a couple years ago. Hey, climbers, welcome to some help. That's right. We want to turn you on to a professional service by our sponsor, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. Listen, as singers, songwriters, and artists, our greatest strength is sometimes our greatest weakness, and that is our emotional intensity. Listen, it helps you create great art, but it can also torpedo not just your career, but your life. And we don't want the bad stuff. We just want the great art. We want your emotions to be a source of help, not hurt. And that brings us to BetterHelp.com. Sorry, guys, it's not a crisis line. This is not a self-help line. This is a professional counseling service that's done securely online. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And as an artist and as somebody who deals with artists, the licensed professional counselors that they have, the stuff they specialize in, I'm going to read you just a quick little list. I've had to deal with all these at one point or another, either myself or with other artists. So this is real stuff. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trouble sleeping. A lot of us have had traumas, anger, family conflicts, if LGBTQ matters, grief from loss is something, a loved one maybe. And and just about every artist I know, I don't, I don't think I know one that doesn't secretly have a little self-esteem issue going on. So here's somebody you can talk to. That's right. And you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. So you don't have to wait long to start talking to somebody. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available, which is great. I'm always happy to see that. And the service is available for clients worldwide, meaning you don't have to just find somebody local who understands you, but that you might run into at the grocery store. You can find counselors worldwide. So it doesn't matter where you are. That's right, guys. If you want to dig down a little deeper on this, there's a ton of testimonials that you can research that are on their website at betterhelp.com. And this podcast is just because we want you to win. We don't want this stuff to get in the way of your artist's career. So if this can help, then we want to help you help yourself. So as a climber, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash songwriter. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash songwriter. 
Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. This is a young artist, not a lot of experience in game. Artist is a singer. And we've got a project that we're working on that needs a single song. And mm-hmm. the artist wrote a song and did a good job, man. The song was actually really good. And I was proud of this artist. It's like the first song that she ever wrote by herself, right? Yeah. Completely by herself. There's a nice hook. We got the uh, acoustic vocal demo just a a work tape not a demo work tape and Mm -hmm. uh, man this is a nice hook in the verses and a nice hook in the choruses and it was on point to what we wanted to do and the artist had been telling me for a little while that she was wanting to change her sound Mm -hmm. Uh, a little less she was rock artist she wanted to go a little less rock a little more pop rock right with pop being on the forefront not so much rock pop but pop rock right yeah and so I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. And she befriends a couple dudes that are a little bit older than her, but not much. And they strike up a friendship. And this guy's like a, a quote unquote engineer producer. Okay. And he, I think they're both from the same sort of planet personality wise and yeah. with their hang and everything like that and their culture. And so, you know, they get along great and they end up putting a studio in the artist's house and now they're playing in the sandbox and having fun. Cool. And sometimes in my job, I, the, the, the lines blur where maybe I'm also, you know, going to be the producer. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll produce certain things for this artist. Why I didn't produce like her EP. Uh, I did co-produce all of the promo stuff that we did for mm-hmm. her. Oftentimes I'll blur into like a little bit of management where I'm, if I'm not like entrusted with the budget, mm-hmm. uh, I've got a great deal of influence on it. Yeah. Okay. Where we're going to spend the money. And so the artist is, and again, the artist is young. So it's mom. That's mom and dad are the, uh, or the bank, right? Yeah. That's, that's what's going on here. So we need a demo for the song that she wrote. And we're waiting feverishly for this demo to appear. From the, <laughs> okay. the sandbox player, producer yeah. guy. From the sandbox okay. player, the producer guy. And I haven't met this guy. Like, it's been a little weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know who he is, what's going on. And I haven't met him. And... All of a sudden, you know, and I keep and now my artist is notoriously a little lackluster on scheduling and things of this nature. Yeah. So it's like if I'm not cracking the whip, things aren't happening. Right. Yeah. And so where's the demo? Where's the demo? We're, we're working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. OK, <laughs> so finally we get the demo and it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not good at all. And. The problem is that the artist is kind of somehow implied to this producer engineer guy has inferred that he's going to be running with this thing. Yeah. So like do the demo and then he can then we'll upgrade you, you can do the master as well. Right. 
And so this is like either a correct communication or miscommunication from the artist. I'm not sure what happened there, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't in the room. So I'm listening to the song, the demo, and I mean, there's there's like a million things that are wrong with it, right? Number one, I mean, first and foremost, when you're producing uh, 50% of it, and I learned this from from Peter Collins, who produced Queens, right? In a conversation with him, he's like, well, 50% of it is just, you know, getting on time and under budget. Because <laughs> <laughs> Peter's a Brit, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, wow, okay. So it's just like business. Like, yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. you're beholden to the label and or the investor and we've got to get this done and you've got to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I remember I just saw a Kiss documentary with like every record up until 2000. It was like super fascinating. And Bob Ezrin, when he first started working with him, brought a whistle into the <laughs> in the studio because <laughs> it was like so chaotic. You just blow that police whistle really loud. Everybody's eyes just got really big and they sat down. He's like, OK, we're going to get some work done. You know, <laughs> let's go. Chop, chop. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it is like a circus mm-hmm. sometimes how to work with artists. They're artists. And this took a, a month. Yeah. Give me the one song and, uh, and a demo of it. Second thing is you got to honor the song. Mm-hmm. Right. So if what you're trying to do in production, if you have a, a song that doesn't fit in it, you need a different song. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you've got to honor that song. And so what they did was, and this producer engineer guy is like a musician and an engineer who came from like a highfalutin school of music. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think there's always seems to be some stigma that comes to that. You know, (laughs) a lot of people, they're pretty proud of that sometimes. But, and I think the frame mindset that he was coming from was like, well, because I have this, I, I, I'm ready. I can, I I know what I'm doing. I got the piece of paper. Yeah. yeah, Because I got this piece of paper, but no skills in the Mm -hmm. job that he wants. Yeah. You know, he's a great musician, uh, good guy. Mm-hmm. Decent engineer, I, I think. Like for recording, not a good mix engineer and not a producer yet. Yeah. Okay, doesn't mean he's not gonna get there. Yeah, just not yet. But he's not there. So he does not on a song. So he lays down a bunch of music tracks that clearly have some TLC. Now, for the record, like I didn't, I didn't agree with any of the choices that he made <laughs> on an artistic level. Okay. Yeah. But these tracks were well executed. They're extremely busy. It's it, there's no simplification in there and for the record when the artist was saying hey i want to go to more of a pop rock thing i said well send me some references like what do you want this to sound like and she Mm. sent me two references and i listened to them i liked them a lot i'm like okay cool like and they're they're pop pop Mm -hmm. rock you know so everything that that means right everything's tripled there's big vocals there's lots of vocals going on there's lots of different stuff happening but it's very very well done and there's hooks Mm-hmm. There's hooks on top of hooks. Yeah. And the demo I get is really like this blues, jazz, odyssey thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And there's no hooks. It's just like, look at how great we can play guitar. And mm-hmm. uh, and we've got this thing. And they changed the music so much that when it came time to put the vocal down, they had to change the melody on the vocal. Ouch. So not exactly serving the song. No, serving no. himself, essentially. Yeah. And I don't mean that like in a mean way. But he just doesn't realize that that's what's going on. Yeah. And he doesn't have control over that. And then the other thing you got to do is you got to honor the artist. Mm-hmm. Right. And you got to know how to do that. In this case, the artist is not a guitar player. So there's like a boatload of guitar tracks on this demo that I have. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a bass track, a drum track, and a boatload of guitar tracks. And there's one effing vocal. One. Like one even- vocal. One vocal track. One track of vocals. So including backgrounds, there's one. Yeah, track. so, so, so no, zero backgrounds. No backgrounds. Just, just a lead vocal, that's it. Okay. Nothing else, okay? And so the references had stacked vocals. A lot of Holy vocals. macro. Mm. So the references are major label releases. Mm-hmm. One of them was Paramore, like a, mm. a, a newer Paramore track. They sort of switched out of rock and into more pop. And another one was a couple of dudes that were in, used to be in Panic at the Disco. I can't remember the name of the group, but... The, and they're great tracks. Like the, the, the reference tracks were great. This is nothing like that. This is not even in the same galaxy as those reference tracks. Yeah. And the vocal feels like on the demo, there's just zero, zero vocal production. It feels like it was an afterthought. Oh, we got to hand this thing in. Go sing something on there real quick and we'll send it in. Jeez. Yeah. 
And the artist is talking to me about, well, the mic chain isn't great, so it'll all be better. And he thinks it's all going to be better when they go into the recording studio and they're on a bigger board and <laughs> and all that. But the, they missed the boat, man. On the demo, yeah. it's got to be like the blueprint, right? Like, what is it that we're going to do to make this happen? And so, and then, and then the last thing you got to do is kind of have a direction. Where are you going to go with this? Mm-hmm. How is this supposed to sound? And that was the point of me asking for the reference tracks. Right. Yeah. Where's the North star on this? Right. Yeah. Like, I just want to know what planet we're going to orbit around and just make a decision from before we even begin doing that. Like, okay. And the song that she wrote would fit in this or so it all makes sense with the song mm-hmm. and the reference tracks. And then we've got like this widespread panic meets, I don't know, <laughs> like cacophony. And, <laughs> and there's just a whole lot going on and yeah. it's nowhere near the orbit. And yeah. so we had to go to dinner to meet him. And I got to have the conversation with the cat, man. You know, you're not going to get the budget for this, bro. Like we're going backwards, you know? Yeah. Like thanks for the demo, but you're not getting the master. You're not doing yeah. the master. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I know that this is not going to, and, and so right before that dinner, I have to, now at this point, he's a complete mystery to me until I get that demo. Mm-hmm. And then I f- find out like, okay, so here's the history of this guy. Like he went to this school, right? I'm like, already, okay. I got a feeling I know where he's coming from on this. And the, so the thing is, he thought he was ready. He really thinks he's ready. Yeah. And he's really not. Like he, he may have all the skills set that mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers had coming out of college and going into the NFL. But I don't think Aaron Rodgers has the amazing rookie season that he had, which is, by the way, was a losing season still <laughs> Yeah, for Green Bay in 2008. Okay. They went to the Super Bowl and won it in 2010. Mm-hmm. But in 2008, it's a losing season, but he still threw for 4,000 yards and this incredibly high passer rating and did really well. But he, I don't think he does that right out of the gate. Right. I think those three years that he spent behind Farb, he was grinding and grinding and grinding. And look at now, Brent, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Describe the past of every producer that you've ever known in town that's pro. Did they just come out of school and decide to be a producer? <laughs> Probably not. Like, I mean, I don't go deep with producers on that stuff, but I mean, they start off usually as, as something else or they start off as an engineer. They start off as a player. They start off as a songwriter. And they start mm-hmm. making their own demos and they get into that. And then pretty soon people are like, hey, you should level this up. Right. That so they're stuff. really good at this this one thing that they do, right? So let's just, yeah. yeah, let's just restate that. They're a player. They're an artist. They're mm-hmm. a songwriter. They're an engineer. And they have some skill set that they have honed to the point where it's getting them in the room. Over time. Over, over time. time. Right. And that's the point over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And you get the nuance of what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Of how to be ready to drive the boat, yeah. to man the ship. And it's more than just knowing how to press some knobs, right? Right. I would imagine that's more of an engineer. Just the technical, we push this button to help the sound come out or to capture this yeah. sound. That's more of an engineer. So what else happened with this? I mean, let's kind of break it down, the nuance of it, right? So he's also unaware that there's going to be any kind of a question on what he hands in when it's so vastly different than <laughs> right. what the reference tracks were right. going to be. Yeah. Right. I mean, can you imagine like you're going to go and produce Kenny Chesney and you hand in like a death metal record. Right. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what, what is this? You know, right, like, yeah. it's like, you got to know when I talk to artists and they think they're ready and I say, okay, I think, because it's an overused word, like artists think they know what a brand is. They think they, they in this, in so much that they know, like, I've got to take care of my brand. I've got to put my brand out there. I've mm-hmm. got to put your sentence here. Yeah. But when I ask artists, like, okay, what is your brand? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, record scratch. Wait, what? Yeah. What's your brand? Yeah. Well, uh, okay. What I'm putting yeah, out there, the, Johnny. It's what I'm putting yeah, out there. Yeah, it's what yeah. you're putting out there. Right? What's your brand archetype? Tom Hanks is the innocent brand. That's his brand archetype. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, his characters are very intelligent, very motivated, but they kind of see the world through like the eyes of a five-year-old child, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same as the Coca-Cola brand. There is no good or bad. There's no black or white skin. There's no racism. There's no evil. It's just we've got this situation that is in front of us, and we have to 
figure out how to get out of it, right? We got to think our way out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do. So it becomes like from this innocent place of, and being motivated by the evil, but it's almost like he doesn't judge the evil people, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, well, it's like, you know, saving private Ryan, his whole deal was we got to get this boy home. Yeah. Not even we have to defeat the Nazis. It's like, we We got to save somebody. Right. Exactly. He was playing Mr. Rogers. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. then think of Jack Nicholson. He's the outlaw brand, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jack Nicholson can play. Like, first of all, Tom Hanks, if Tom Hanks isn't aware of his brand, Tom Hanks can't play a bad guy. No. Can't play a bad guy. Can't do it. It'll, his career will be ruined, right? Couldn't pull it up. Nobody's going to buy it. Right. Yeah. He's going to be like, oh, this guy's really evil. Right. It would take a really interesting character development to sort of put him in a position where he's like innocently the bad guy, maybe. But right, I don't yeah. even know how you would do that. You know what there I mean? There's that road to perdition where I think he was a, like a mobster or something, but it was his redemption arc. There you go. Okay. So, so we're getting, it was, yeah. So it's about the, it's about the redemption. Yeah. yeah. And Jack Nicholson is a bad guy. He's the Joker. Even when he plays the good guy, he's the pain in the ass good guy right, right? Yeah. that's so bad that you gotta and, and so that that's again like a brand thing so what roles do you choose like if you don't know this stuff if you don't know that you're not ready the only way that you're going to get ready is through the grind of it all and to your point you know the big producers in town have been in studios many 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 hours watching mm. people make records watching producers before them handle the budget Mm-hmm. And the time frame, handle the personalities, getting people to perform for them, mm-hmm. right? To do what they need to do to make it happen. Understanding how to craft the arrangement to make room for the vocal. And that, you know what, this, this artist here is about this, you know, like with, I'll give you another example. How about um, Ted Templeman who produced Van Halen in the beginning? Okay. Okay, that first record, go back and listen to the Van Halen one. It's it's first three records, really, but it's mostly like you'll be amazed if you haven't ever done this on your car stereo. But go listen to Van Halen or if you got your headphones in uh, and pull out one ear. Okay, Mm -hmm. because Ted Templeman got David Lee Roth live. Mm -hmm. Right. But really, ultimately, believe it or not, wanted Sammy Hagar in the band when he signed Van Halen Mm -hmm. because Sammy Hagar was a Warner artist. And wanted to make that record all about the guitar. Mm -hmm. And so in a freak, very aggressive mix move, Eddie owns the left speaker. (laughs) Yeah. It's just his guitar that's in the left speaker. The drums and the bass are in the right. Okay. Yeah. And David Lee Roth comes straight down the middle. And the only thing you're going to get on the right from Eddie is reverb from the guitar. And the only drums you're going to hear on the left are like the reverb sends from the drums yeah okay but otherwise it's he gave him one speaker out of the two <laughs> yeah that he's mixing to just to make it rock mm-hmm. and that's weird i mean most people like you get the drum fills they come all the way across mm-hmm. your face you know yeah. and they, they come around on a stereo mix but nope drums are off to the right man eddie's on the left but why is he doing that because he's trying to honor the artist yeah right i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make this thing rock and this is how i'm gonna kind of do it and and working with the vocal production of David Lee Roth, like go, you can go find the demos from those records on YouTube and you'd be astounded at how different it sounds. Mm-hmm. Like the doubles on those screams, those howls that David Lee Roth does and everything. This is production. This is being ready. This is knowing how to take this artist and take him to another place. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the song, right? Like if you think you're a songwriter and you're ready to get in that room, are you, have you done enough work? Have you written enough songs? Yeah. You know, it ain't going to happen with three probably. No, no, it's not unless you're just a miracle and you're probably not. Yeah. So, and so to wrap this up, I mean, the, the conversation of having this guy was just like, cause he's bought her at the table, mm-hmm. right? Cause he's disappointed once again, you know, yeah. I'm not on what I think I should be on. And I said, bro, like, you know, how you handle this is going to determine really whether or not, you're going to be a producer whether you really want to be a producer. Mm -hmm. Right. So Aaron Rodgers gets out of high school, has zero interest from a D one school. Right. And just does a walk because he's too small at the time. 
Yeah. But he does a walk-on. It's like some low-grade community college or something, and then crushes it there and happens to be discovered by a D1 coach who was looking for another player Yeah, and working with another player to bring him over from the same team and took Aaron with him. And then doesn't have the best first season for the D1 school, but has a better second season. And then the last season was incredible mm-hmm. enough that his stats are so huge that he thinks he's going to go number one. Yeah. And then he doesn't go number one. Yeah. <laughs> he goes number 26. He doesn't get to play, but he's still got to grind. Now he's got to get used to the new system and everything. And he's finding ways to add value to the team mm-hmm. and to learn, to prepare for when I'm going to get my moment because, man, it could come at any time. Yeah. If you plant Brett Favre, which nobody ever could, you know. Huh. God, love that man. Like nobody <laughs> wanted to hit him too hard because if it looked too violent – and he jumps up out of the ground and grabs you by the face mask and says, try to do that again when you know he's in pain. Right, that yeah. just revs everybody up and your game is done. And you're going to ruin it for yourself if you hit him too hard. Because right, yeah. you can't take him out. He's too tough. But he's preparing. He's doing that. So, you know, what? it's about the journey, man. Mm-hmm. It's all about the journey and how if you want to be a producer, then you want to be learning about producing. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And every time and that you don't get the job – and actually doing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I started producing for the first time, I had to, my studio in my house in LA and I just started working with bands for free. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you want to come record me? I'll record you for free, but you got to play in the sandbox with me. Yeah. Right. You got to let me produce you. Okay. And, and then I was determining with certain bands, like, okay, I have to have a bigger role in this project. Mm-hmm. These guys are hitting right on. And so I'm going to have a lesser role in this project, kind of be out of the way. But yeah. that's what I got, you know. Playing with my chops. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I'm getting in there and messing around with that. So, so that's it, guys. It's grind, right? It's about the journey. It's about learning how to do it. There's ways to do this, and it's not just about your talent. I mean, you can take your ball and go home, or you can grind and get better. Yeah. How you react to that? Because we most likely we will all be told at some point we're not ready, or whether it's verbally or just through people not calling us. Yeah. We'll be told we're not ready for what we think we're ready for. Yeah. And how do you just how do you respond to that? Do you go, okay, how do I, if they think I'm not ready, how do I prove them wrong? How do I get readier? <laughs> if I already think I'm yeah. ready, how do I get readier? Exactly. Or you Because can, there's a new echelon to make. Yeah, you or know? you can curl up in a ball and not do anything or just keep doing what you're doing and blame it all on them for not noticing your genius. Yeah. How are you going to respond? And that's the conversation I had with this kid. He went through mm-hmm. it well. I said, look, I, you know, what you can get, is I, I give you access, like you can hang out with us all the time yeah. and watch how we do this thing. You know what I mean? And watch how we build this up and make this happen. What a gift that and, is. And be able to make that work. Or you can choose to be sour about it yeah. and, and not do anything. But I mean, thankfully, it, tur- it turned out all right. But I mean, I, that was I a think, big gift of you to say, hey, this could be awkward, but I'm going to invite you in. You can hang out and watch and learn. And he could either yeah. go, well, this is weird and I hate Johnny now because he didn't love me enough. So screw you. I'm just going to keep doing yep. what I'm doing. You'll regret it or whatever. Or I feel bad and I can't, I'm too embarrassed to show up because it's going to feel like I have my failure in my face every time I'm watching that other producer do the thing. Right. Or I can show up and learn. Right. Which do you think is going right. to serve him better in the long run? And if you know what, if you're really, really, really fascinated with that aspect of it, you'll want to be in there. You're going to want to be in there, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it used to be for me, like, I mean, two things used to get me off when I was a kid, like hardcore, the smell of diesel fuel on a tour bus, mm-hmm. because I was so excited to go see this band yeah. when I'm a teenager, you know? And the second thing was like recording studios, yeah. every recording studio, every one from the coolest ones on the planet to the crappiest home studio. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you got? You know, like, oh, let's listen to what you got going on and how you build that up. And so it was a fascination with it and uh, wanting to, I, I think it was a fascination more than, I guess, a work ethic. I, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, just it doesn't feel like work. was so interested in it. Yeah, that it yeah. didn't feel like work. But that was the just the mindset of it. Now, that wasn't a mindset I had to fix. You know, it's just a mindset I, I had. Yeah. It just was so absolutely interesting to me. But I think for songwriters and for, you know, I think about your guy, the excuse maker guy. And, yeah. and then some players, like there's a player that we've talked about in this podcast over the years that I brought down was very young from 17 years old, brought him down from Detroit, guitar player, gifted guitar player. Mm-hmm. And was always just 
busting my chops to get in the studio. You know, I want to be on the, and, and he just wasn't ready to handle a Nashville session, man. Didn't know charts. Like yeah. it moves so fast in there. This is not like an LA thing, you know, where I have a different project like that. It's like this thing goes fast. And I knew him like emotionally at that time he could melt down, but now he can. Cool. He's grown. He's grown a lot. And it's from grind. He's playing every single day and knows how to lead the band, knows how to hang out. He's a lot more confident. And there's nice. just all that plays in to being ready. So I just want to encourage everybody to, man, assess yourself, like know where you're at and, and just always be asking, like to quote Brent, what can I do to be readier? <laughs> what can I do to be readier? Yes, sir. <laughs> So, all right, guys. Well, that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Hey, we're available for consultation. Uh, hit us up at info at daredevilproduction.com and put consultation in the subject line. And also, any questions you got for Pick Johnny's Brain, email us at info at daredevilproduction.com. Put Pick Johnny's Brain in the subject line. And we'll read those on the air during those episodes, all right? This podcast exists because we want you to win, so keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.